Hello everyone, uh, this is Roberto uh, on Hacker Public Radio. It's February 16, 2014, 1230 EST. Um, <clears throat> this, uh, the last time I recorded a Hacker Public Radio episode was uh, about a year ago, um, and it was on a SSH two-factor authentication. Um, today I'm going to do a little bit of, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm just going to talk about a couple of things I've, I've done or a couple of things I've been thinking about. Um, and also some some useful links about some uh, general topics that I think most of us tend to find ourselves sifting the internet for. Uh, so today uh, today we're going to talk about distributions and uh, blogging and hosting, uh, little hacks or projects, and just a useful useful little tip or kind of a kind of a useful tip. But anyway. Um, my name's uh, Roberto. I'm coming out of Atlanta, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy. If you have any feedback, uh, let me know. It's beto at haven'tfoundme.com, and I, I love to hear what everyone has to say. Uh, the first thing I've got listed on <clears throat> on my on my notes is uh, Xubuntu. Um, so I'm a heavy Xubuntu user. Uh, I've been using it on a Asus X501H, I think. I think that's the name of this laptop. Uh, but I use Xubuntu heavily because it was the only distribution at the time that was lean and it supported UEFI out the box. A lot of uh, a lot of other distributions I was I was trying to use at the time, such as Debian and um, <clears throat> and uh, and Fedora, they just it would it just wouldn't it just would break. I couldn't. Uh, I could go through the install process, but for some reason, I'll do a reboot or or whatever, and it just it just wouldn't boot into the OS. So I was like, all right, this is ridiculous. Um, so Ubuntu twelve Ubuntu thirteen oh four was the distribution I I used. Uh, I tested this on, um, but then I just didn't like the way Ubuntu. Um, I just didn't like the the Unity interface, and I didn't like how much how much resources. Uh, that that um, that OS was using. Um, so I only have four gigs of RAM, and I've got like a 64 gig SSD on this laptop. Uh, it's very lightweight. It's very lean. It's a 15 inch uh, laptop. It doesn't have a CD drive. It has like one USB 3.0 port. It's got a VGA, HDMI out, SD card, and two other US two USB 2.0 ports. So it's a very lean, uh, very lightweight laptop that I use to do a lot of um, a lot of my work in. Uh, so, so I came across Xubuntu uh, thirteen oh four. It worked great. I installed it. UEFI uh, loader worked great, uh, the, or the UEFI integration worked great with the laptop. So, from there, I just committed to it and I just kept using it. Um, now I'm on Ubuntu thirteen. I'm on Xubuntu thirteen ten, um, and I have noticed some changes, uh, especially in the uh, in the power management area. Before I could. Um, uh, what one quirky thing I'm noticing is that when I when I close the lid, like if I set up the lid to if I set up the computer to um to sleep when I close the lid, in the past I didn't really I didn't have to set it up where I had to lock the screen. Um, now it's kind of, it was kind of quirky where I close the lid, open the lid, and the screen doesn't lock. So I had to go in there and and um, investigate like where where I need where I needed to go to enable that um lock on screen or lock on sleep or something like that. But uh, another problem I found was that even when I locked on sleep, uh, for some reason, 
the computer seemed to be sleeping first versus locking the screen first. So, uh, so it was just kind of weird when I'll open the screen up and I'll see my desktop instead of a locked screen, but it'll be a frozen desktop. And then the computer would then go into the lock screen asking for the password. So it was just kind of something I was like, oh, this kind of sucks. So now I just kind of get, I, I, now I just have a, a keystroke where I just, um, lock the screen, um, you know, control shift L and, um, <clears throat> and then close the lid and then, you know, the screen's locked, lid's closed, computer's asleep, you know, have a nice day. Um, so, so this is something that I noticed, uh, in X Ubuntu 13.10 where, where there are some, there are some bugs, um, you know, lurking, lurking in the OS. One, another bug that I noticed, and it's not, it's not anything bad. It's just something I, I noticed in the, uh, in the wireless list or the network connections, uh, list. I noticed that it looks like, it looks like there's some problem with the, uh, um, when the presentation of the icons. So the icon, the applet itself, uh, is, it looks perfectly fine in the screen, in the screen resolution, but it looks like when you expand that, everything's kind of squeezed so it's kind of weird uh i don't i don't know if uh if it's just maybe it's just my eyes or or there's something there's something else going on someplace else but but yeah it just seems like the uh the the wireless icon is is just squeezed a little bit so it's it's just it's just a little taller than what what uh what is what what is shown on the applet icon so this kind of weird stuff but um that's kind of segues into what I really wanted to talk about, which is the Exabuntu uh, reporting is caring um, post that came out on February fourteenth, and basically, this is a uh, basically Exabuntu on their site. They're just talking about, you know, we they have a measurement of a measure that the the I guess the topic would be measuring success or failure, um, and basically it's that they want you know more people testing. Um, they want bugs, uh, they want bugs to be reported that aren't being reported and they want more testing to be done so that, you know, they can knock out, you know, these bugs and, and, and they can get, you know, the OS a lot more stable and, and, and a lot more pleasing to, to the community. So, um, uh, the, the key topics here or the headings that they have is like measuring success or failure, bringing out your results and, you know, getting started. So, I highly encourage everyone, if you are an Exabuntu user or you are considering using Exabuntu, um, I like Exabuntu because of the Xface uh, environment. I don't really, I don't really like, um, I don't really like the, the Unity environment. Uh, GNOME is okay. I was using uh, GNOME 3 in the, um, in Fedora 18 and, and 19. Um, the only downside was that I kind of didn't like the, uh, the graphics. I just really liked that simple flat um, 2d, 2d desktop environment. So anyway, so I ha- I'll have a link in the show notes, but if you go to xubuntu.org slash news slash reporting dash is dash caring, um, it's just a breakdown of, uh, how, how to get started, how to report these bugs, um, where you can go to, where you can go to be a part of this. And, um, and yeah, so pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work more on trying to get myself on on the Exabuntu, um, you know, reporting or bug list so that I can, I can participate a lot more. So anyway, so yeah, so there you go. So Exabuntu, um, it's a good, it's a good platform, especially if you have one of these computers that came with windows eight and, you know, it's got the UEFI loader and, you know, it's, it, it works, it works very well. Um, so anyway, 
All right, so uh, up next, I have um, Kali Linux. Um, <clears throat> my What I have listed in my notes here is Kali Linux on EPC 1000H, uh, old hardware revived. So if any of you remember the the EPC line, I, I know I know it's still around, but if any of you do remember um, the, the young EP, EPC line, the, 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 the beginning, the early days, you had like the 701s, and then the 901s, and then they came out with like the 1000s. Um, and I so I have one from, I, I think, 2009, I think, or 2008, probably. Uh, so it's the 1000H. Um, this laptop is absolutely amazing. This laptop has lasted me um, through a lot of things. It's a bit heavy. It's actually, I think, the same weight as my 15-inch laptop, and it's a 10.1-inch it's a laptop, but... It's still a, a great. It's it's still a great little computer. Um, it, it still functions well. It's an atom board. It's got two gigs of RAM. It's got a. It also has a 64 gig SSD on there. Um, the battery is dying out on, on on me, but but still, it gives me a, a good solid two to three hours of battery life. It originally had Windows XP on it. Um, so so that's just to let you know how old how kind of old this thing is. Um, but yeah, I got USB, I got USB 2.0 port, two, I got three USB 2.0 ports, SD card slot, uh, VGA out, and Ethernets. And, um, and then I have a dedicated audio, dedicated mic in. Um, so this, lap, this laptop is really good. Uh, it's in really great condition and I love it. It's just, it's just really awesome. I, I know there are a lot, there are, there are, there are laptops that are thinner, lighter, and more powerful than this one. It's just, I don't know, there's some nostalgia there. Um, the only complaint I do have, and I've always had it, and I don't know if it's with this one. Yeah, it's definitely this guy. So the only complaint I have with this laptop is the freaking uh, caps lock. You never know when this thing is on caps lock. So you, you kind of have to, you know, be careful whenever you're putting, a, a, you know, unique passwords in there. So, but anyway, um, so what I want to talk about is Kali Linux. Uh, so I'm running Kali Linux on my uh, Asus EPC laptop. Uh I'm running the i386 version or, uh, you know, the 32-bit um, uh, version of, I'm, I'm sorry, 686, 32-bit version of Kali Linux on the laptop. Uh, initially, I had downloaded just the network boot or uh, like the bare minimum uh, net ISO boot or whatever. Um, I came across some problems doing that because the first problem I had was basically none of the Kali Linux packages, well, a small amount of the Kali Linux packages were installed. So instead of, it was like a one gig, two gig installation, uh, but I just didn't have any of the Kali Linux installation files. And, and then when I came to want to install everything else, so you basically do like a, uh, it's a Debian, so, so Kali Linux is uh, Debian based, and they're doing a really good job at up, uh, updating their development, um, in their development of that OS. But um it was a very simple list like, you know, app, get, install, Kali Linux. I think it's like Kali, just Kali-Linux or something like that. And it'll just install all the, you know, backtrack Kali Linux related packages. The only problem is that I chose a, uh, I chose a, um, a very, uh, I chose to install, I chose to create separate directories in my installation. So the problem I had uh, was that I didn't have enough space in, under root to install you know, like the eight gigs worth of uh, worth of packages. I only had like three hundred megs on my root or something like some some crazy low ass numbers. So, so yeah. So I went ahead and I was like, all right. You know what? I don't want to deal with this. You know, 
you know, I have get install Kali Linux after just doing this long ass installation. So I went ahead and just downloaded the, um, the ISO. It's about three to 3.1 gigs or something like that. It's under four gigs and very useful. I burned it, put it on a, um, I put it on a, a you know, I put on a unit boot in, so I just can boot from an SSD card, booted up the uh, EPC, inst went through the installation process for Kali Linux. And, um, I normally, whenever I do my installations, I always use LVMs. Uh, I don't, I don't do partitions in, in the traditional sense. I'm always using logical volume manager. There's no way I'm ever going to go back to anything, uh, you know anything else because LVM is just, it's a lifesaver whenever you really need to expand your um, your your uh, your drive space or, or your or your partition space in a sense um, it really is a lifesaver and it's really 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 easy to work with um, another th another reason why I use LVM is for the Luke's encryption uh, for the uh, for the hard disk so uh, so I usually encrypt all my hard drives um, so Luke's uh, uh, Luke's is it works with LVM, so it encrypts the whole entire LVM. And the only thing that's that's built outside of the LVM is a uh, slash boot partition. And it only has to be like 300 megs, and basically it houses Grub and base uh, like a and, and, and a, that's all. It's just so. So anyway, so anyway, so um, so yeah, so few problems. Uh, the problem number one that you're gonna come across. Uh, for some reason, I don't know if it's in a 64-bit version of the uh, of the uh, of the um, of the DVD ISO, um, but I did not have this problem when I did the Net installer or when I did the when I booted um, using the uh, the Slim installer because uh, when I encrypted the LVM and I, I booted off of the LVM, everything worked perfectly fine. Uh, but when I went ahead and reinstalled using the the DVD ISO, the larger image where I didn't have to go to the internet to download packages. Um, one big problem uh, occurred, which was that the um, the boot manager couldn't find the um, it couldn't find the encrypted LVM. So you would start, you know, you would you would boot up, and you're like, hey, you know, like what the hell? It doesn't find, you know, it doesn't find the LVM, and then it'll just go to intra FMS, and then now you have to like figure out, you know, what the hell is going on? Like you know, you know the installation process completed successfully but when you rebooted it just didn't boot into the into the system so i've got some i've got some links on my show notes um on how to fix this basically what's happening is that um the sda crypt is is trying to decrypt um the wrong it's using the wrong partition it's using the wrong sda crypt to um decrypt the uh sda5 partition and the sda5 partition is where the lvm exists uh, so it's basically trying to do an SDA1 underscore crypt to decrypt the SDA5 partition when it's supposed to be SDA5 underscore crypt to unencrypt the SDA5 partition. So anyway, that was a simple that was a simple fix. You just had to get yourself booted back into the system, and once you did that, you know you can you can configure uh you, you can um, edit the configuration file related to that um related to that command, and once you did that, you were good to go. So. I have a I have a link in the show notes that explains how to do this. Um, one one thing I, I highly recommend is that um, if it says SDA five, and then you see like for instance to decrypt the partition, you have to do like crypt setup Luke's open slash dev slash SDA five, which is the partition to the LVM space SDA one underscore crypt. You're gonna see that everywhere. Um, what I found was that it has to be SDA five underscore crypt because you have to you're decrypting 
uh, you're using the SDA5 underscore crypt to decrypt the SDA5 partition. So just remember that, you know, just remember that. Just just keep that in mind. So anyway, uh, so anyway, so sorry if that was crazy technical, but I really like LVMs. I really like Luke's. I really like uh, encryption and security is of the utmost importance nowadays. So enjoy, guys. Um, so that's Kali Linux. And another problem I found with Kali Linux, and this was specifically for the EPC. This was specifically for the EPC that I have, the 1000H, um, was the was the mouse pad. So um, basically, uh, when the uh, touchpad, when when Kali Linux boots up, Debian boots up, it automatically tries to determine the um, the trackpad, and it automatically tries to determine the um, the the module it needs to to run the trackpad. Um, and since it's using a Synaptics. Um, basically you have to tell the, um, the kernel, Hey, I need you to not, don't do auto and don't do, uh, I forget what the other options are. Uh, but I forget what the other, um, protocol options are, but anyway, you've got to change the protocol option from auto or whatever the other options are to IMPS. So I've got another link here and it's basically touchpad synaptics tapping is issue. And what happens is that when you boot up, you can't left click, you know, you can't basically like you know, select something and, and, <coughs> and, 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 and click on it. You can't click on something. You can right click and you'll have, you know, like if you right click on a desktop, you'll get, you know, your desktop options, create a folder, create a file, whatever, but you can't, you know, left click and, you know, say, okay, I want to go ahead and create that folder. So in order to do that, you have to use like the super key T open up a terminal mod probe dash R PS mouse, and then mod probe PS mouse protocol or proto equals IMPS. And there's other protocols you can look in the man pages uh, for that. And I, I forget, um, I forget. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, I forget where to, I forget where I found that at, but, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, so you can you can look up the different protocols the or the different options, and um, you'll also have to make that static. So in order, that's only gonna work uh, by executing mod probe dash dash r, which is remove ps mouse module, and then mod probe ps mouse proto equals imps, which loads the imps protocol into the ps mouse module. Um, if you do that, that's only for that session. So in order to make it static, you have to create a a, a file. A configuration file under Etsy slash mod probe dash D and then there you'll just put in your options PS mouse proto equals IMPS and then from there every time you boot up it'll just be um, it'll just be persistent there you go persistent um, so so yeah so uh, so that's the one uh, that's the one real uh, downside I saw in the uh, EPC 1000H another one that I had which was impacted when I was just doing the net installer was the um, the wireless drivers? I had to uh, I had to blacklist when I did the net installer. I had to blacklist my wireless driver and try to reload. Um, I had I have the fix, but I, I don't know where where I put it. But it, it was I had to blacklist the wireless driver. It was like a Realtek twenty eight hundred or something like that because uh, it just wouldn't it it just wouldn't uh, it just wouldn't load the drivers for it. So. Um, so when I blacklisted it and I reboot it, um, I had to I had to install a new driver. But when I did the install with the ISO, the 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 full DVD ISO, um, everything worked out fine. Like I didn't have to do any crazy ninja stuff. So 
that's just something uh that's just something that i i i noticed that i was like okay you know that was a plus side in using the um the iso for for installation so uh so yeah so so just um just keep that in mind if you do have an old you know an, an old laptop or something like that you know just keep that in mind that you know you you have you know you you can you you still have options you know you don't have to toss them and if you want to do awesome hey you know toss them or whatever but uh yeah i'm using backtrack on on that on on my epc or i'm using cali linux on my epc and uh it's working out great i mean it's a it's a great it's a great tool to have um and you know it, it's just it just works out it just i just like it um <clears throat> circling back some other the protocol options are auto bear impx or exps raw and base um i don't know what the uh the bear i remember that uh the bears is i don't know what these are i don't know what these are but uh i'll keep a i'll uh i'll put this in uh in in the show notes so that you know people can look at this and 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 whatever so um so yeah so that's kai linux on the asus epc and uh uh, right up next so i've got blogging in markdown only um i just want to just kind of change that i don't want to do only because that sounds a little pretty bad because i might end up blogging in another method but blogging in markdown just general blogging in markdown um recently I, I was working somewhere where they supplied me a macbook and um i was having to do documentation uh i really did not want to use uh word uh, as my like platform for documenting uh policies and 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 um, guidelines or practices or whatever so i kind of thought outside the box i was like all right you know i want to use something that's going to allow me to conduct like that's going to allow me to utilize revision control um and also just be able to be able to simply write in in, in some in a very clean format and use any type of styling to present the do- to, to present the documentation however i want to present it so there was one app that I really enjoyed using on the Mac, and it was called the Moo app, M-O-U-A-P-P. Um, and um, this app was fantastic. This app is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you basically can, um, you, you basically, it's a two-pane window. Uh, so you have your markdown on the left and your, uh, your formatted uh, documentation or your formatted style on the right. And you would write in markdown on the left, and on the right-hand side, you'll see what you're writing in whatever style sheet you choose to have it presented in. And uh, what I liked the most was that you can you can um, you can add more style sheets. So it was really awesome to have this ability to have you know one method one one format of writing on the left and as many different style sheets or, or as many different formats of presentation on the right, depending on the style sheet. So the mooapp.com is the site and i really wish this was on i really wish was this was on linux um unfortunately there is it, it, there isn't there isn't an option like that one on linux but there are some alternatives uh so the first one that i've that i've uh that i came across was redmine or redmin i think it's redmine or or redmin let's see uh Let's see. Yeah, Redmine. So Redmine is a pretty good app. I tried it on on my on my Xubuntu machine. Um, it looks cool. It's very simple. Uh, it's marked on the left, presentation on the right, but it didn't have that, you know, that sparkling effect like on like I was like how I was using the Moo app on the Mac. So it's just just something to think about. 
well, uh, when you are working on Markdown. But anyway, um, so Redmine was a good editor. There are some Python tools that take HTML and convert it to Markdown. Um, but again, what I'm looking for is an ability to write on the left and present on the right. And, and that was, Moo app was, it's, it's the best. It's out of everything that I've tried, it is the best. Now, that was from a desktop app perspective um, or a, a, a standalone application. Uh, some other options that I found, which were pretty useful, which was uh, ghost.org. Um, <clears throat> I have a, uh, we'll talk about hosting services next, but I have a hosting provider that provides the ghost.org installation scripts uh, for, your, for your hosting service. And you can deploy it and you can have a ghost, uh, a ghost site up instantaneously, like within 10 minutes. Um, ghost is probably the best the best platform for markdown uh either um, static content or just regular blogging platform i mean it's just it really is it's really is pretty good it came from a kickstarter uh it came out of a kickstarter funding and i think the guy came from wordpress or whatever um, or the team came from wordpress or a variety of other blogging areas um i think one of the ladies is from tumblr or something but anyway uh ghost.org really good stuff um i think if you go to the site there's a you there's a, like a you can pay for it just like similar to uh, wordpress but then you can also there's the open source version and uh with the open source version you know you can install on your own system and, and do whatever um but yeah it's an mit license uh which i kind of like hmm, i was like oh, okay i i don't i wonder why um because they, they kind of do explain in their videos like oh we're mit licensed because you know, you can use it and do whatever you want with it. I was like, oh, okay, uh, I'll, I'll, okay, yeah, I'm going to speak too much about that. But Ghost.org, really good blogging, uh, blogging pl platform with Markdown in mind. Um, basically, what I like about it is that on the left hand side, it has a two, it has a, it has a, it has a two pane window. It has on the left hand side, you write your blog. On the right hand side, it presents to you what the user is going to see. And you can write an HTML on the left, or Markdown on the left, or just regular text on the left, um, and it works. It works pretty good. I had it up and running on one of my sites, uh, but for some reason it broke. I don't know what happened. So, uh, since it's on a hosting platform, I'm just gonna say that I got hacked, and then that's it. So, but anyway, Ghost.org, it's really good, um, and I I highly recommend you try, it, especially if you do like that how Redmine and Moo app function, where you have like that two window, that one window, two pane uh, scenario. Uh, so just, just keep that in mind. Um, all right, uh, there's another platform that I like, um, and uh, I want to I use the correct terminology here. And it's like a static, it's like static site generator. Thank you. So static site generator. Um, I have a list, I have a website I came across from Stack Overflow about static site generators. Um, but anyway, Scriptogram, uh, it's S-C-R-I-P-T-O-G-R dot A-M. These guys are really cool. Uh, what they do, uh, which is pretty interesting is that you can connect your Dropbox folder to their service and then they, they, uh, and then I, I don't know. If it's, um, I have not signed up for these guys, but I've read their documentation and it looks pretty good. Uh, you can set up kind of like a publishing timeline where it pulls from your Dropbox folder and publishes the con whatever content is there. So basically it does like a, you know, like a, a cron job and says, are there any new files? If there are, publish this, move on forward. 
Um, so what I like about them is that you basically can have your desktop application of where well, your desktop markdown editing application and you, uh, you know, you write it, you save it to your Dropbox, your Dropbox gets pulled and the scriptogram pulls from the Dropbox, presents it on your website, bada bing, bada boom, done. Uh, you take your C name, uh, you take a C name record, point it to scriptogram and then, you know, it's www.yoursite.com and that site comes up and it's a markdown site uh, and it's very rich. Uh, and, and it's very good. Uh, so do look into that if you're interested in just kind of like, you know, you still want con you still want the originals basically because on ghost.org, the problem with that is that you're based, you're, you're writing your, your, um, your posts on the web server. So, you know, if your web server is toast, then the web server is toast and everything is gone with it. Um, with scriptogram, it's pulling from your Dropbox. So it's a static site generator and it's just pulling from your Dropbox and it's presenting from your Dropbox. That's really cool. I think that's a much better implementation. Um, of course, the problem is you're using Dropbox, and you know, then you get into the security layer, and then then you have to kind of look at okay, you know, what's the licensing structure like, and what does it cost, and so it's just you know, there, there's there's caveats there. So look into that. Um, the last one that I want to know that I want to note, and and I, I just want to mention it just because like it's worth mentioning and they've been around for a while and they are a better alternative to to things such as Drupal and WordPress because Drupal and WordPress are literally overkill if you're just trying to do a blog. Uh, in my opinion, they are literally overkill. Um, and plus, what I'm trying to do is Markdown only. I really like working with Markdown and it's very simple, it's very clean, it's very effective and you're, you're going to get work done. You know, you're just going to type away, you know, hashtag, hashtag, uh, bang bang, whatever it is you want to do, uh, you know, it's strong script. What you, it's very simple. You don't have to write no crazy HTML code to make things work, uh, work, for, work in your, um, in your favor. But in the Moo app, when I was using it on the Mac, I noticed that you can publish directly to Scriptogram or Tumblr. Um, so that's just something to think about. Is that with Scriptogram, you were able to publish your Dropbox and then Scriptogram pull from your Dropbox, or you were able to use the Moo app to push that into Scriptogram, you know, associating your, your Scriptogram account to your Moo app on your Mac, or to associating your Tumblr account um, to the Moo app on your Mac. So Tumblr for somehow, some way, I have not used this, but Tumblr somehow, some way uses Markdown. I don't know how, I don't know where. Um, the only downside with Tumblr is, you know, Yahoo. It's just... Yahoo's taking over and, you know, who knows where that's going to, who knows where, where that, that's going to end up. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of like the, the plus to Tumblr is that it's, yeah, it's good stuff, but, you know, it's like, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen on that? So, anyway, so, yeah, that's my, 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 uh, my two cents on blogging and Markdown. Um, if you haven't tried Markdown, try it. Use it for blogging, use it for documentation, use it for creating PDFs, presentations, use it for creating policies if you're in a, if you're in a uh, officiating position. You know, use it, uh, use it like as if, you know, use it as if you want to, you know, conduct revision control on, on your files because you can't, like, you can, you can, we can argue that, yeah, you can use it, you can do revision control in, in, um, in LibreOffice or OpenOffice or, or Microsoft Office, the only problem with those three options is that, one, with Microsoft Office, revision control is going to be a nightmare. Any single little change in the formatting of the, of the Word document is going to be taking as a change. Even if you just, even if you just entered a space or, 
or enter the space and backspace or remove or 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 change the formatting of text. I mean, it's just it just gets really painstaking. Um, I've done it in LibreOffice where you save LibreOffice to an XML uh, output, or I think it's OD. I think maybe ODT might be XML, but you save you save it in a format in which uh, like Git or Mercurial or Bazaar or whatever can see you know the individual text changes. Um, but it just gets like it just gets monotonous because it's like, oh my God, so many changes have occurred here. It's ridiculous. Like, why am I even doing this? You can use Dropbox as your revision control, but it's only going to give you, you know, the change from yesterday and it's not going to give, not going to help you really do a diff in any, in any event. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm committed to Markdown because I can diff things. I can, you know, I can, I can sift through it easily. I, I can read, I can read the lines uh, of text easily. You know, I'm not going to call it code. It's just markup language. So so it's just it's a lot easier to, to work with in my opinion so um so yeah so if you haven't tried markdown give it a try and um and let me know you know let me know all right next up uh hosting services uh so low-end vps's and hosting services um for like like three or four years i mean we we've all done it probably we've used the dream host we use the GoDaddy. we've used the, the, the domain.coms we've used you know the uh I, I don't even know what the other ones are out. I don't even know. It's like ho, uh, HostGator or something like that. I don't know. We've used them all. We we I've tried a lot of them. Uh, HostGator. I have not tried HostGator and I have not tried DreamHost, but I've tried GoDaddy. I've tried Domain.com. Um, I've tried like uh, I can't even remember now. But anyway, so uh, there's two of them that I use personally. Um, one of them is Arvix or A R V I X E. These guys are really cool. Um, if you sign up with these dudes and you get uh, just regular uh, website hosting, n- not low-end VPS stuff, but just web- regular hosting, um, shared hosting, you get a free domain. Um, as long as you got the hosting, you get a free domain. So, I mean, Squarespace, I've used it. It's cool, whatever. I don't really have that much control. You know, it's, that, that's the one downside to it. You know, I want a box I can SSH into. I want a box that I can deploy multiple sites to. I want a box where I can do... Whatever the hell I want to do, um, uh, this Arvix or A R V I X E, really cool people. Um, another site is Prometheus.net. These are this is an Italian-based service. Um, if you are, you know, I don't know. If you are security-minded or if you are, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Let's just say, you know, this is this is Italian-based. It's pay, It uses PayPal. That what else can I say? They they do low-end VPSs and it's very cheap, affordable, and it's it's usable. So all I can say is that anything that uses PayPal and anything that uh, allows me to feel a little secure and, and, and use use it use things on based on a dedicated IP, I'm very happy with. So so just keep that in mind. Um, so just just uh, try to try to set set goals whenever you're purchasing um, hosting services. Um, because especially, uh, especially buying domains, um, you, you gotta be really careful where, you know, like domain.com, you buy a domain, they charge you for domain privacy. It's like, come on, seriously, like you're going to charge me for domain privacy. Like that's ridiculous. Or, or, or domain locking or something like that. So, you know, so just keep that in mind, you know, where someone who's trying to like charge you for like, you know, oh, email forwarding, like seriously, like you, you're going to charge me for email forwarding. Like I just paid you this much for a domain and email forwarding is, is nothing. You're just, that's ridiculous. You know, it's just keep that in mind, like have some expectations or talk to somebody who's had a domain before 
and and ask them what are some of the pitfalls when buying a domain, especially from like GoDaddy or you know these big wigs that are that are trying to extract as much money out of you as possible. Um, so anyway, uh, so next up, uh, Pogo Plug version four with Arch Linux, simple, cheap, and extensible. Um, I came across this blog from forty something geek.blogspot.com uh, forward slash 2013 forward slash 03 forward slash pogo plug dash series dash 4 dash arch linux dash review dot html sorry about that links will be in the show notes but uh, there's another link uh, arch linux arm dot org slash platforms slash arm v5 slash pogo plush pogo plug dash series dash 4 um these two links are going to provide step-by-step instructions for converting a Pogo Plug Series 4 into a full-blown Arch uh, server. Uh, it's going to be headless. There is no... There, uh, on, a, on a Pogo Plug Series 4... Uh, okay, let's rewind back. Pogo Plug Series 4. Very cheap. It's just an alternative way to set up a Pogo Plug in your home, connect a, three, a USB 3.0 drive, uh, 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 a SATA 2.5-inch um, um, hard drive, or a USB 2.0 uh, device and share and basically have storage on your LAN where you can do DLNA, DLNA sharing or upload or whatever you want um, in your home. You can use the my.pogoplug.com cloud service where you can remotely access the Pogo Plug and do whatever you need to do there. So the pluses. Uh, the plus is that this device from the Pogo plug site, whenever you buy this thing and register it, you can enable SSH. So you don't even need to hack it. You just, you can, from the site itself, you can say, okay, you know, I want to enable SSH. Boom. SSH enabled. Downside is that a lot of tools aren't really available on the, on the, uh, in the Pogo plug build. So the next thing is, how do I hack this thing? I want to put Linux on it. I want to put, you know, a full blown version on it. So Arm, uh, this, these two links from 40somethinggeek and archlinuxarm.org, they provide the step-by-step, uh, the step-by-step guidelines to install ARM on a USB stick, plug it into the Pogo plug, reboot the Pogo plug, kill the HDM service, I think it's called, or HD, yeah, I think it's like HDM, which is the Pogo plug web service, reboot it, boot into this freaking uh, Arch version of Arch Linux, SSH into the, SSH into the, into the device, boom, you've got a Linux server. For twenty bucks, I think. I think on Amazon, this thing is going for like twenty five dollars or something like that. So, uh, it uses a. It's got a. It's got. It only has Ethernet uh, connection, and you can only use the the um, the two and a half inch SATA port or the two USB two port that are on top of the device for the installation or the deployment of Linux. The USB three ports are still usable. It's not that you can't use them. It's just that you can only boot on the two ports that are above the device. I don't know why, but it's just that's all that's the only thing you can do. But once you got the device booted up, you can plug in a USB 3.0 device on the backside and you know you know go from there. So once you install Arch on once you got Arch running on this thing, you know you're you're in the mix. You're good to go. You you basically have a full blown Linux installation and you can do whatever you want. So if you don't want a low-end VPS and you don't want to pay for that, you can pay for this $25 Pogo Plug device, put it on your LAN, uh, open up some ports, um, <clears throat> deploy, uh, deploy Arch Linux on it, and boom, you've got a low-end VPS at home. So my thing has been running for like over a week and a half. 
uh, with no issues. Some problems you will come across if you don't pay attention to what you're doing in the installation process. Uh, well, actually, post-installation process. Changing of the root password. If you change the root password or you start enforcing more strict SSH rules, such as like allow groups, uh, uh, do not permit S root SSH, please, please remember to test before you reboot. Please remember to check, inspect what you expect because you don't want to end up in a situation like me where I went ahead and I misspelled something in the SSHD config file, rebooted the device, and the SSH, the SSH server is not coming up. There is no uh, display. There is no dis uh, display port, or there is no video port uh, that you can that you can you know plug into so that you can view this thing on a monitor. There is no you know output port for for um, for graphics. This thing has no graphics. So if you mess up, you're you're gonna have to do one to one of two things. A complete reinstallation, or do as I did and use your uh, uh, take your Xubuntu laptop on one end, and or your your Linux laptop on on the left. Plug in a keyboard to the uh, Pogo plug on the right, and reboot the device. Let the device get to the login page or to the to the login uh, prompt. And how would you know it's there? Just wait. Just wait a, a, a good amount of time. If there's no activity on the USB light, then you're probably at the, at, the, at the login prompt. You type in root, you type in the password blindly. So there's nothing to look at. You just have to, have to do it blindly. If you remember the root password, if you do not remember the root password, then you're in, you're, you're in really big trouble. But if you remember the root password. So type it in. Now you should be logged in. You don't know this, but you should be logged in. Now, how do you know if you're logged in? Okay. What you can do is you can try to ping out uh, to the internet and check your firewall and to see if there's a ICMP session going out to the internet. If you see like, okay, I'm seeing from this IP address, which is the Pogo plug, because that's the MAC address for the Pogo plug. And I see that it's going out to the internet and it's pinging to, you know, 8.8.8.8. We're good to go. Control C. And that stops the ping. All right, SSHD now. Like, let's say you fucked up SSHD. You have two options. Um, one option is to install. One option is to try to repair the SSHD file. If you know what you've messed up, then go ahead. Vi space forward slash etsy forward slash ssh forward slash sshd underscore config enter. You know, this is all blindly. There's no monitor involved here. This is all, you know, through your, you know, touch and feel, you could say. You know, then you can say forward slash, you know, whatever it is that you messed up. Or you can do the, you know, you can do the said replacement. You know, you can do percentage S, you know, your colon percentage S forward slash, whatever it is you want to replace forward slash with the correct version, forward slash G, enter. That should correct it. Save the file, reboot the device, SSH should come up. This is if you mess up SSH. If you mess up other stuff, you know, hopefully SSH is still running. Now, let's say you don't know what you messed up and SSH is just so bopped up, you just, you don't know. The alternative is to install Webmin. So you can install Webmin and there's a tutorial. Uh, I'll have to find it. But there, I've, I've, 
you know, there is a tutorial to install Webmin on Arch. Follow the tutorial and, you know, you should be good to go. And let's see. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. So I've got a site here and this guy was installing Webmin on an older version of a pogo plug with Arch, but this should, this should work just fine. Um, anyway, install Webmin. You install Webmin, you should be good to go. Once you install Webmin, you can, uh, you know, you allow, uh, you allow, you know, whatever it is you need to allow, and that's it. You can install Webmin. You can configure the SSH file. You can do a whole bunch of stuff after that. You can, conf you can administer the entire Arch, uh, your entire Pogo plug after that. So remember, there is no. This is a headless server, and it will be headless, you know, indefinitely. Unless you know, unless you can get one of those USB to VGA connectors and then enable the 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 module and uh, you know disable or I think it I think they're blacklisted originally, but the USB to um the the USB to VGA connectors or display adapters or whatever. Unless you get one of those, then you should be in the you should be okay. But just remember, do not fuck this up. That's I that's that that's the only thing I can tell you. Is, don't fuck this up. Pay attention to what you're doing. Make changes slowly. Inspect what you expect and check before you reboot. Um, so yeah, so Pogo Plug version four with Arch Linux. It's a definite buy. If you've got the 20, 25 bucks, do it, buy it, work with it, play with it, whatever. Give it to a gift to somebody. I gave it, I gave one of those as a gift to someone uh, for Christmas. So I hope that person is listening and I hope they're, uh, hope they're hacking away. So, uh, last thing I've got is Gmail Web Clips. So I I was on Gmail the other day and I was like, wow, you know, this is really cool. Uh I usually block um ads in in everything I do. I have script I have a no script running and I have ad blocker. So most of the times I have a lot of the ads in my Gmail inbox blocked. Um but one day I was using a uh <coughs> one day I was using um Gmail on um I think it was on my work computer and I didn't have uh, ad blocker and no script running. Um, so I just saw something on the top on the top bar where the ads usually used to be or usually are, and it's some it, it it didn't say why this ad. It said web clip, and then I was like web clip, and I'm reading this thing, and it's like oh okay, it's like a quote of a day or like some current event topic or a news item. It, it was just it was just interesting. It was just like wow. Um, this is pretty cool. I just kept hitting their little refresh button in Google in the Gmail box, and it w I just was going through like ten or fifteen of these until I got an ad, and I just thought that that was really cool. I I never I've never seen it before. I guess because I always have it disabled. Um, but just something to check out if you guys are interested. Um, if you go under your settings in Gmail and you go under Web Clips, there is a column there. You have a check bar. There should be a checkbox that says, says "Show my web clips above the inbox," um, and then there's a, a thing here. It says, "Due to low usage, we've removed customization of web clips in Gmail. Your current setting will be maintained, and you can still see your feeds below." So, I, I don't I don't know what happened with this thing, but I think it's pretty cool. Uh, it's just something that, you know, if you just want to kill some time, you can kill some time instead of reading ads. Um, so, anyway, so uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, I hope this was uh, resourceful. And I mean, uh, actually, I do have one more site. 
and it's something I got from the Risky Biz podcast. Uh, it's a security podcast, and uh, let's see, uh, it's a it's a place to get uh, it's I think it's Creative Commons the music here. Um, so let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Is this music Creative Commons? I do not know. Um, I do apologize. I don't know, but the site is called triplejunearthed.com. And, um, and yeah, it's a pretty good site and, uh, they've got a lot of good artists and most of this stuff that I noticed is from Australia, uh, or maybe, uh, what's the other place down under, uh, New Zealand. So it might be New Zealand and Australia, but what I noticed that a lot of these guys accents, uh, sound Australian. Um, but, uh, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to hear this, but, um, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. So check it out. Triple J on earth. Uh, one of the artists I, I enjoy on there is uh, called the pilot or called pilots. And, um, they've got a song called coast to coast and it's pretty cool. It's, uh, so yeah. So I hope you guys enjoy. Um, and if you do want other music that I don't know if this is creative commons, I apologize. Um, but other music available out there, or other music sites available out there, are Jamendo, and I think it's like creativecommonsmusic.org, maybe. Um, so, you know, just check those out and, uh, you know, enjoy and have a great day. Thanks again, everyone. And let me know if you have any questions. Uh, it's beto at haven'tfoundme.com. You can find me on Twitter at haven'tfoundme.com. I'm also on Identica. I haven't been on there in a while, but I got my account there. It's haven't found me. Um, I'm sorry. It's at haven't found me on Twitter. It's at haven't found me. And, um, and yeah, so if you got any questions, hit me up, send me an email, send me a tweet. I'm also on Google plus, uh, you should be able to find me on Google plus as well. And, um, yeah, uh, thanks again for listening. Appreciate it. I encourage you create it, um, make a, make an episode on hacker public radio um, and also, you know, have a great month. Uh, take care. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.